Bonus points if you can figure out whose voice that was. <laughs> well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Um, and before we get into this, I have a favor to ask. And I don't ask for favors very often. So I'm asking for one, and it is this, that if you consider this your home church, or you think it might be that next week you stay after for the all-in meeting. Um, it's a big deal because we believe every believer uh, should be part of a church, a local church, as, as family, really. And if you think this is the place for you, and we hope it is, although there's other good churches in town, you need to come to this because next year, God is going to do some really big things through us. Uh, we, we feel it. We sense it in the I'm not a prophet, so I'm not like, hey. But, but really, God is at work. There is something going on, and we want to share um, ongoing our plans um, and invite communication around those. And this is going to go ongoing through the year. So next week, it's not going to be very long, uh, but we're going to look at what it means to be part of the family here. Again, next week, right after the service. If you already are all in, this is for you, because we have not done a real good job communicating with you, um, and we're going to do better. Again, if you haven't done it, this is also for you. So that's it. Uh, do me that favor. And if you don't, I will hunt you down. <laughs> Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this time of year. Um, there's some fun things like Christmas trees and lights, uh, fun music. God, but I, I do ask that that you would stir our hearts. Um, we sing a lot about joy and peace and, and those things. I pray that you would give us that uh, for your glory and for our welfare, uh, that you would give us peace and joy in you, that we would enjoy this time. Sometimes this is a hard time of year. Uh, and so I do, I ask for peace for those of us who have uh, people we've lost or broken relationships, that you would give us peace despite our circumstances uh, during this time of year and open up our hearts to what you want to say to us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So as you saw, the, uh, the series we're starting and going through Christmas Eve is about the names of Jesus. Now, how do we get our names? You know, maybe you are a parent. How did you name your kids? You know, we name them after a, a family member or for us, I think we would get like the top 20 list and make sure the name wasn't on that. Um, one of the things, Callie wanted to have a Y in all their names. So when Elise was born, there was a little bit like, you know, at least spelled with a Y. Are we sure we want to do that? But you don't argue with a mother who just gave birth. And so um, her, her name is spelled with a Y. But uh, you know, right, a lot of times our, our names don't mean a lot. But when God gives a name, it always has meaning. And in Scripture, we see God at times changing names. Abram was changed to Abraham. Abram means father. He changed it to Abraham, which means father of many. Jesus, right? The name Jesus means Yahweh saves or God saves. Speaking of who Jesus would be, what he would come to do. There's other places, right? Jesus even renamed Peter. His name, right, was Simon, and he said, you will be called Peter. So when God gives a name, it means something. In fact, this is kind of cool. In Revelation, we see that when we go to be with him, he will give us a new name. It says there's a white stone with a new name. Like, that's cool. Um, I don't know what like God's name for me, I can't wait to hear what that is. Um, and and I, I hope God has a sense of humor, and so some of those will be fun. Um, I know God has a sense of humor. Um, but, but, right, names matter. So today, we're going to begin this three-week series looking at the names given to Jesus in the book of Isaiah. So grab your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Now, if you're using one of these which is in your seat there. It is page 638. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. 
And real quick, before we get into to this, again, it's going to be in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, page 638. I want to give you a little context because we were just singing the names that we're looking at. And we talk about them, you know, we've probably been singing these all our lives, or we've been listening to Amy Grant sing these all our lives. But do we really look at the context of where they came from? And I want to look at that real quick because it does matter. Uh, This was originally a prophecy given from Isaiah to the nation of Israel in about the year 730 BC. And so for you, like, that's a long time ago. But here's the thing. Israel was God's chosen nation. And in about 930 or so BC, the nation split. Right, there was King David, then his son King Solomon. After Solomon, the nation split. Ten tribes went this way. They were called Israel. Two tribes went this way. They were called Judah. And that was Judah and Benjamin, two tribes. So if you ever hear about the lost tribes of Israel, you know who they are? They're that ten. They disappeared. But the other two kind of continued. So that's where that comes from. You know, kind of fun. Look that up. But over the, the 200 years there, Israel never had a good king. You can read through uh, Chronicles and Kings in the Old Testament. Israel never had a good king. Judah, they'd have a good king, then they'd have a knucklehead, then they'd have a good king, then they'd have a knucklehead. It kind of went that way. But the, the, those two tribes, Judah, in general, they, they kind of were still on God's path, um, and God would still send prophets to them. And here's the context here. Judah now has a king, Ahaz, who's a knucklehead. Write that in your notes. Uh, he's consistently making bad decisions. They're under attack, or they're, they're going to be under attack by Israel, who is now one of their enemies, and another nation. Uh, and so Isaiah is sent by God to come to uh, King Ahaz and say, trust God alone. He will bring you through this. He says, he will even give you a sign. Ask for it. And King Ahaz like, I'm not going to ask for a sign, right? I mean, it's kind of like, I'm not going to test God like that. Well, God told you to just ask for a sign. He says, well, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And that's where um, in Isaiah 7, 14, he says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's where that Emmanuel comes from, God with us. Ahaz, I'm not gonna, I don't want a sign. He's like, you're going to get one anyway. A virgin will conceive and have, have a baby named Emmanuel. And now we're going to skip forward, though, to Isaiah 9, 6, because Isaiah, again, he's coming to the nation. Their current king is making bad decisions that are, are bad for the nation, all these things. And in that context, Isaiah is going to give hope for the future. There's going to be a coming king, a coming Messiah, who's not like the knucklehead Ahaz. He's going to be a perfect king. And his names tell us some things about him. In fact, sometimes these are called his throne names, and his names mean something. And so Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. These are the scriptures we're going to look at over the next three weeks. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's kind of neat. A child is born human. A son is given, the son of God, divine. And today we're going to focus on one name. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful counselor. Again, this is God through a prophet telling the nation when the Messiah comes, one of his names will be wonderful counselor. That means something. What does it mean? 
Well, as I was studying, I kind of had some fun looking up the the words. And the first one, wonderful, uh, which I didn't know this, is only used of God's works. The word wonderful is never used in the Old Testament of anything other than what God does, right? His, His purpose, who he is, or the things that he does. And so here, this idea of wonderful means the Messiah is going to be divine, right? Wonderful. It's one of those words that we overuse or like amazing Right, we said, oh, the kid walked, amazing. No, every kid walks, that's not amazing, right? Or, or wonderful, but this wonderful, it, it's a rich word, uh, and the word used here in Isaiah, it means astonishing, unusual, extraordinary, hard to be understood. That one stuck out to me. Part of this idea of wonderful is hard to be understood, and as I was kind of wrestling with that, I agree, <laughs> Jesus and who he was going to be, this Messiah to come, a little bit hard to understand. And here's, for me at least, why would God, perfect in glory, right, created with the word, take on flesh to suffer and die for a wretch like me? And that's the way Paul would, that for me is hard to understand because I look in the mirror and I know me, I can fake it really good for y'all. But I got stuff in here that, I mean, you know, God, why would he die for me? And in Romans 5, 6 through 8, Paul says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's wonderful. That's wonderful, that that God would send his son at Christmas, we celebrate this, to be born into a body to die for us while we were still his enemies. That's wonderful. But specifically here, this is a wonderful something. Counselor. The emphasis really is on counselor. The the wonderful means it is a divine, perfect, hard to be understood counselor. But, But counselor, we all know what a counselor is, right? Somebody who gives advice. So Jesus is our perfect divine and wise advice giver, right? Now, in the world today and probably the world forever, there's always been plenty of advice givers, right? There's, uh, there's government, uh, there's advertisements. I mean, how many of us are, are swayed by advertisements? And guess what? Sometimes those change. Uh, so, you know, the science says, and, and then that can change. So here's an example of an old advertisement. Coca-Cola. It's a brain tonic. Did you know that? When it first came out, this was good for your brain. Relieves mental and physical exhaustion. (laughs) Right? Uh, There's other ads. It's like, it's great for your kid. And you see like babies and they're giving them (laughs) Coca-Cola. Maybe we're past that. How about this next one? I love this one. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. This is a real ad. Right? So, so if you're, you know, using this as counsel, oh, I should switch or I should start smoking camels. That's good for my health. Right? Yeah, we can move past that. Those are kind of extreme examples, but the world is throwing things at us. Right? Counsel that if we, if we see it, oh, that sounds good. And today we have a lot of this. Experts say. And I challenge you, whenever you hear that, dig in. Who's the expert? What are they saying? What's the, a lot of times it's, it's just some guy. I'm an expert. Right? So who do we look at? Where do we go for counsel? And obviously right here we see that Jesus would be our perfect, wise, divine advice giver. And now we're going to skip 
to Matthew chapter 7. So turn there. We, we see this, and we're going to Matthew 7 because in Matthew 7, we see Jesus teaching. And so we're seeing his words. We're seeing him be this wonderful counselor. And then he's even going to talk about himself as that vice giver, as that wonderful counselor. So Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 7 which is page 901 in that Bible. Make it really easy on you. Page 901. And here, uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount, it in, in, uh, begins in chapter 5, goes through chapter 7. And this sermon is a sermon about the kingdom. Jesus goes up to a mountain. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. He sits down and it says his, his followers, his disciples came to him. So he's teaching primarily to his followers. Now, beyond that, there are other crowds that are watching. There are Pharisees there, but he's primarily speaking to his followers. And so this is about life in the kingdom. It's not super evangelistic, right, where Jesus is out saying, I'm the way, you know, you need to follow me, no other way. There's that. But this is more, okay, now that you're in, now that you're part of my family, here's what it looks like to live life within the kingdom. And that's helpful to understand what he's saying. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, he's already said some things like, ask and you will receive. We have a good father. God is a good father who wants to give you. You don't have because you don't ask. So ask for good things. And then he says something else kind of wise, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? The golden rule, that is biblical, right? Jesus taught that on the Sermon on the Mount. And then he goes, and now a tree will be known by its fruit. Meaning if you think you're godly, you think you're in the family, look at the fruit of your life. The fruit will show what the tree really is, right? An apple tree makes apples. So he's saying your, your actions will show what you really believe, where you really are, because then he'll say next, some of you think you're followers of me, but you're not. There will some, some will stand before me in the end, in the judgment, and say, didn't we do all these things in your name? He says, I never knew you. So these are some of his words leading up to what he says right here in Matthew 7, 24. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus considers his words the foundation on which we build our lives. That's what he's saying here. Uh, the foundation, if you know anything about foundations, they're kind of important. Um, I used to do foundations, and uh, I went to, I won't say where, a place, and I, I built a wall for somebody um, that was going to be a little bit of a retaining wall, and, and they had already done the foundation. And I went, I said, are you, sh this is the found, this is it. They'd already done it. Yeah, I just built the wall on top. I said, I don't think that's going to work out very well. Uh, how deep is it? I don't know. How wide? I don't know. I'm like, are you sure? Just build it. It'll be okay. Okay. So I built it for them. And that wall over the next couple of years started to do this, started to lean and lean and lean. Why? Because the foundation was not good enough. And they had to do some things to fix it. The foundation matters. Our house, uh, when we built our house, uh, it's two story. There's a basement. The foundation, the, so here's how it works. You build a footing first, five feet wide, 12 inches thick. Most houses, it's you know, 16 inches by eight, or five foot by 12 inches. And then on top of that, 10 inch wide concrete. Now, here's the thing. In it is rebar. Most of the time, you use half inch rebar. This is five eighths, so it's thicker, harder to work with every six inches. 
I wanted to shoot myself, right? Tying all, all this stuff. And of course, I'm in it, kicking, you know, engineers, what are, you know, all this stuff. Well, foundation, boom. After the fact, later, a couple months, the house is done. I remember walking outside, and all of a sudden, the ground starts moving <laughs> like this. And I come inside, and, did you feel that? Oh, earthquake. Everything was fine, right? That's the point of that foundation. The engineer knew what they were doing. We live in a seismic area, by the way, the second highest in all the nation. And so we have to construct it this way. The footing matters. The foundation matters. What we build our life upon matters. Where do you get your advice and your counsel? The foundation matters. And here he says, my words are the foundation. So here's the question. When life happens, when the storm comes, how do you respond? Do you respond with, with peace, joy, confidence, hope? Or do you fall into despair, anger, anxiety, worry, depression? Those things will reveal your foundation. Now, first, I want, I want to point this out. What words is he talking about? Jesus here says, uh, the wise man will build his house on my words. What are those words? Well, in context, absolutely, first, it's the words he just spoke. It's the words on the Sermon on the Mount. It's what we see in the book of Matthew. Those are his words. But is it limited to that? Uh, there was a movement that started some decades ago called the Red Letter Christians. Because it, it wasn't traditionally done this way, but they started printing out Bibles with Jesus' words in red as if they were different or better. Or, you know. And so people would just follow those. Oh, those are the most important. Guess what? Those weren't written by Jesus. <laughs> those words were written by the apostles or others who remembered what he wrote. And so the Holy Spirit led that. Here's the point. Scripture makes clear all of the Bible is God's words. So here, when Jesus is talking about his words, it's all of this. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God breathed as if God spoke and the words appeared on the page, all of them. Now, we have to understand them in context, right? If you read the Old Testament law, that doesn't apply to us exactly now. So you, in context, we have to understand it, but, but they're all equally valid and equally authoritative. God breathed. So these are the words. Here, here's the note. All scripture is considered the word of God. Jesus counsels us primarily through the Bible primarily through the Bible, but more than that, right? So, so Jesus, born a baby, he didn't stay in the manger, right? We don't pray to baby Jesus. He grew up, right? He, he, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and then he went, he ascended into heaven where he is now at the right hand of the Father in his risen body, try and figure that out. And then he sent the Holy Spirit, right? We believe that God is three in one, one God, but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now lives in every believer. The Holy Spirit has a very important role as our counselor. He is called our helper, which means counselor. And so here's where God, again, through his Holy Spirit, enlightens the word, right, and brings it to remembrance, right? John 14, 26 says, the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is our wise counselor who enlightens God's word and reminds us of biblical truth. 
Again, we go back what we were singing, that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. This is what we're talking about here. The Holy Spirit is involved. God's word is involved. He is our perfect, wise, divine counselor, telling us the truth, leading us how to live. Now, we can simply boil it down to, to three types of people, and obviously there's always more than that. Whenever you boil something down, it's not perfectly right. But three types of people. One, they go to the wrong place for counsel. The one who reads the camel ad, I need to switch to camels, right? Bad, bad source. Um, there's those, right? Or, or those that maybe don't seek counsel at all. Uh, today, right, where are those places we go for counsel? The culture, you know, th those around us. Science is a big one. Um, and science can help, again, if it's aligned with God's word, but, but science by itself, again, those experts, um, if it's aligned with God's word. How about this, yourself? A lot of us in our pride think we are the best counselor. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Guess what? You're not a great counselor compared to the divine one. Right? Uh, God would write, my ways are as far above your ways as the heavens are above the earth. So are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. We're like a worm compared to God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That is referring specifically to Jesus' role as this wonderful counselor. In all our ways we acknowledge it, we look to him and he will make our path straight. That's what it's saying. He'll show us which way to go. And most of the time, again, it's gonna be through his word or through the Holy Spirit revealing his word or through his people pointing to his word with the Holy Spirit. You see how all that works together? All right, second group, those who hear but don't listen. Now, that's not any of you, so don't worry about that. Those who hear but don't listen. Jesus, when he's teaching these parables, again, his disciples are there, there's a bunch of crowd too. There's a bunch of others that hear it, but they don't really listen to it. They, they don't obey, right? And these, if we look at his words just before, those are at risk of not belonging to him at all, right? The, the person who hears and has no desire to really follow, there's not much security in that relationship. Now, the person who believes and attempts to obey and messes up, that's part of being human, right? We're not talking about perfect obedience. But number the second group are those who hear, but they're like, eh, I know the Bible says, but. If you've ever said that, that's a mistake. Third group, those who obey. Look at Matthew 7, 24, right? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. It boils down to knowing his word and obeying it. You can't obey what you don't know, and you can know and not obey. It comes down to obedience. That's this final group. And I hope that's where all of us will sit. Those who read, believe, and obey. Right? So remember I said he's speaking to first his disciples, meaning many of those would claim to be his followers, right? And they would hear, but not apply, not obey. And there's the danger for us. And so I want to I wanna kind of bring this all home by looking at four ways to build your life on the sand. Four ways to build your life on the sand. Because Jesus, again, as our divine, wise counselor, wants us to have a good life. Again, that's part of our mission, right? Connecting people to the abundant life. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, which isn't health, wealth. It's not that, right? But it is peace, joy, 
purpose, hope, that's the abundant life. Where the storm hits, I, th this all fits so perfectly in scripture. When the storm hits, you're like, I I'm good. I can handle this. I can endure. I can cling to Jesus and make it through whatever it is. That's what he's talking about. And that's what Jesus wants for us, right? He didn't just be born so we could have Christmas and then die so that we could be eternally saved. He wants us to be saved now. We've been going through Hebrews. We talk a lot about sanctification, being saved in the present. That's what he's talking about as our wise counselor. So four ways to build your life on the sand. And if you're paying attention, you don't want to build your life on the sand. Okay. One, read your Bible for other people. Read your Bible for other people. This might be you if you're sitting there and you're listening and you're like elbowing the one next to you. This is for you right? Or, or parents, you're reading this, oh, my son or daughter really needs this. Or my parents really need, right? You're always reading for someone else. This is really dangerous for pastors, uh, teachers, leaders, but, right? There's stewarding. My job is to, to help steward the word and teach it. And I've seen many pastors who then, well, I've arrived. And so this is for everybody else. But then when it's turned back, well, are you obeying this part? Oh, I'm above that. Eh, no, right? Reading the Bible for other people. Two, read your Bible occasionally. How many of us are, are maybe coasting on the fumes of things we read before? Right, when I was new to the faith, I spent a lot of time with God and, and spent time in the word, and now I'm just kind of drifting on those fumes. We go to God when we need help or in times of trouble. Uh, John 6, 35, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Often scripture is referred to as, as bread, as food. Uh, some of the prophets in the Old Testament, oh, your words, they're like honey and I eat them. What if, what if we considered God's word food? How often would you be eating, right? If this was food and this was your only, how often would you eat? Once a week, right? Sundays, just a little bit here or there, right? This number two, read your Bible occasionally. We need to eat frequently. In fact, uh, the fact is you're forgetful. I'm forgetful. It's funny. This, as I was praying through this this morning, this great example popped up a um, year ago or so. I was preparing. I don't remember what I was doing, but I was listening to podcasts. I do that a lot when I'm studying. Um, and somehow it, it linked to one of my sermons from years ago, right? Five or six years ago. And I didn't remember it. And I'm listening. I'm like, oh, this is really good, <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, that's a good. I didn't remember it at all. Right, so I mean, I spent time digging into whatever that was, a, a book of the Bible, studying it like I do, and then I moved on to other, I didn't remember a lot of that, right? And, and it was my job to remember all of it. I don't, right? We're forgetful, meaning we need to keep going back to it. We need to be in it. We need to remind ourselves, read it occasionally. And again, the Holy Spirit, what is his role? One of his roles is to bring to remembrance what Jesus said. How can he bring to remembrance something you've never read or something you've forgotten? Now, he can do that. And at times, and I've had him do that with me. I was in a Bible study, men's Bible study when I was young, um, men from a bunch of different nations. It was really cool. Um, and in it, one guy's like, I don't really believe in the spiritual realm. I'm like, huh? <laughs> yeah, like, it all is just physical. And for some reason, popped into my head a, a kind of obscure story in the Old Testament, whatever, about eternal life and souls. And, and I kind of, I went straight to it. 
Well, that was the Holy Spirit. I maybe read it once somewhat recently before that, but the Holy Spirit took me straight to that because I had read it. And it was exactly what this guy needed at the right moment, meaning the Holy Spirit was in charge of all of that, but he used his word. So how to build your life on the sand? Read it occasionally. Three, accept scripture selectively. This is like the person who goes to a counselor and, and doesn't like what they hear, so they go to somebody else and they go to somebody else until they find the person to agree with them. Guess what? You can always do that. You'll find someone to agree with you. Um, or, or, right, we want something to be true, and so we look to, to affirm what, whatever that is. You know, when we go to God's word, I like how Paul Ingram, our worship, sometimes he says it this way, that we say yes to him before we know what he asks. Right? We say yes, I believe, before we know what's actually revealed. So, again, three, how to build your life on the sand. Accept it selectively. In Matthew 23, Jesus would speak to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they knew their Bible way better than any of us. Uh, they would memorize the first five books, it looks like, before they were 13 years old. Right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They memorized those. And Jesus would speak to them. He said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You're dead on the inside. He said, you, you are... You know God's word, and you are tithing out of your mint and cumin, right? Their, their herb garden. They got this little herb garden. They're like, oh, 10% needs to go to God, right? But then they have their parents suffering, and they're not taking care of them. It's like, you obey this tiny little thing, and then what really matters, you're ignoring because it would put you out. It's like, no, we cannot accept Scripture selectively. Maybe you've heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, uh, was a deist. He was not a Christian, and he read his Bible every day. And here's how he would read his Bible. I don't know if you've heard this story. He would read his Bible, and he'd go through, and he really liked the commands. He really liked the commands. And, and so, you know, he would, he would dig into those. He did not like whenever the Bible said something exclusive about God or exclusive about Jesus being the only way. He didn't like those. And so he'd be reading along, be like, I don't, I don't like that part. I know that feels wrong, doesn't it? That's what he would do. He would cut portions out. And then he'd keep reading, oh, it, ah, miracles. I don't, I don't really believe in miracles, so I, I'm going to have to cut that part, right? This one talks about miracles. Oh, but there's a command right after, so we'll keep that. You can still find Thomas Jefferson's Bible. This is how he did it. He read it through, and now it's been put together of all the things he didn't like, and he cut out, except the Bible selectively. Do you do this? I think for us, we might go the other way. Oh, I like the idea of miracles, I like those, but I don't like the commands. So we go, through, oh, principles of marriage. I don't, I don't like that, <laughs> right? I, you know, I like, I like some other things, but I, I don't like what it tells me as a, as a wife or as a husband, so I'm just going to take that part out. See how wrong that feels, right? Or, or oh, wait, this is what it says about sex and, and, and gender? Ooh, that, mm. nope, T taking that one out. Whole, that whole page is gone. <laughs> now, we might not do this physically, again, because who would ever tear a Bible, especially in church? <laughs> but we do in our hearts. We do in our hearts whenever we say, it says this, but I know better. I'm going to do it this way. And I can't tell you how many times I've counseled with people. Here's what God says about sex between one man, one woman within marriage. I know that's what it says, but I have to do or, or, or relationship, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So a believer dating a non-believer, here's what, it is so clear. We, we don't even have to talk much about it right here. Your life will be ruined when you're unequally yoked. Eh, I, I still, I, I want to, right? 
That is choosing to read the Bible selectively, accept it selectively. Wisdom and success are found when we built our life, build our life on a solid foundation of Jesus' words, all of them, not just the ones we like, not just the ones that are culturally acceptable. Here's my question. Is Jesus' counsel wonderful or optional to you? Is it wonderful or optional? Again, wonderful, divine. This is God, the creator of all things, who says, I want what's best for you, my sons, and I love you. I've created this world for you to enjoy. I made things like strawberries, right? I want you to enjoy this. I want you to have hope, security, confidence, joy. I want you to have, and here's how you get it. He wants what's best for us. And so when we read this, is it like the, the prophet in the Old Testament? Oh, it's like honey, right? I love it, right? It's, it's healing to me. Or, or is it optional? And for many Christians, let's be honest, we read it as if it's optional. I'll, I'll accept this, but not that part. All right, last one, number four. How to build your life on the sand? Read the Bible only intellectually. I, in my life, in the circles I've run in, this is the, the biggest danger uh, that I've bumped up against, is reading the Bible intellectually as if maturity is in knowledge. Scripture makes clear maturity is in obedience from a heart of love. If you want to know what maturity looks like, it's not just obedience. It's obedience from a heart of love submitted to Christ. Uh, Paul would write to Timothy, a pastor. He said, the goal of our instruction is love, a love with real, you know, accurate motives, pure heart. That's the goal. The goal isn't just intellect. M maybe you're one of those, you love things like hermeneutics, eschatology, soteriology. And if you're like, what do those words mean? This isn't for you. No big deal. You're good. <laughs> but uh, listen, it is good to get into theology. It is good to know what those were, right? To dig in. That is a good, good thing. But in, if that's the end, if that's maturity, we've totally missed it. Uh, it it's as if uh, Kayla, who's turning 17 soon, uh, right? And uh, not to throw her under the bus, but I sent a picture of her room the other day to her. Because uh, I was turning off lights. Dads would probably do that. You walk around the house turning off lights. So I turned off her light, and it looked like something happened in there. And so I took a picture of her room, and I texted it to her. I said, I think you've been robbed. <laughs> right? And, and she responded, no, the cats like it when I leave the drawers open so they can climb in, and they throw things out. <laughs> so imagine that situation, and I tell Kayla, Kayla, you need to clean your room. And she walks downstairs. She's gone for a while. And she comes back up. She's like, Dad? I've been thinking about what you said. I've been wrestling over, right, what the words clean your room mean. Uh, I figured out how to say it in Greek and Hebrew. Cool, right? She, she leaves, she, you know, she goes off to school. The next day I come home, and she's there with a few of her friends, and I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're having a small group. Every week we're going to get together and talk about what it means to clean your room. Real, right? And we're wrestling and we're sharing stories. You know, what am I going to say as a dad? Well, have you cleaned your room? Right? Again, that's the idea of reading the Bible only intellectually without actually applying it. And it sounds silly, but we do it. But we do it. So we do want to know. Listen, we need to know intellectually, but the whole point is that it moves to our heart and that we apply it. Obedience to Jesus' wise counsel works. I want to point that out. We're supposed to, right? Maybe parents have said, you know, do what I say, not what I do, or just do it because I say so. That's absolutely part of Scripture, but it also works, meaning it's, it's best for life. Go back to this, this parable 
uh, in Matthew, this story. There's two houses. And again, he's speaking to people who all appear to be his followers. How do you notice the foundation in a house? You don't, right? Just looking at a house, you can't tell what the foundation is. How do you know when the storm comes, right? I was frustrated building the foundation of my house, but when the earthquake came, I was happy I did what the engineer said. Storms reveal the foundation, meaning storms reveal what we've built our life upon. The storms of life reveal the foundation we have built on. Meaning, God will allow storms because he loves you. God will allow these storms to reveal your heart and what you really trust in, good or bad. Sometimes I think a storm comes that God allows so that it reveals I do trust him. That's encouraging. Hope. Sometimes he'll send a storm or he'll allow a storm in your life to reveal my trust is not in him, it's in myself or it's in something else. And we know that by the way we fall to pieces, right? We collapse, whether that's depression or anxiety or anger, whatever that is. It reveals the foundation we built upon. A story is told of a, a couple lumberjacks uh, go, going through the woods, right? They have a, an area they're supposed to clear, bring down these, these trees. They're going along and they, they, here's the first tree we're gonna cut down. Oh, but there's a, a bird nested in the top of the tree. I'm like, well, shoot, you know, if we chop this down, that bird has nowhere to live. So they, they take their axes and they turn them around the blunt side. They just start beating on the trunk, right? Shaking this tree so that that bird, you know, what's going on? It, finally, it flies off, goes to a different tree. They look like, well, eventually that one's gonna get cut down too. So they go to that tree and they start beating on that tree, shaking it up, and finally the bird goes to it and it just continues and continues until finally the bird gives up and goes to the rock and starts building the nest in the rock. And the lumberjacks say, good, that's the one that's safe. That's the place that's safe. God in his love will allow these storms until we nest in the rock of him. God in his love. So when you look at your life, it's a mess. He doesn't love me because he's sending these things toward me. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe he loves you so much he's allowing those so that you will nest in him and you will find him as a wonderful counselor. Again, this Christmas season, as we celebrate Jesus coming, this is one of those things to dwell on. Have I built my life on the foundation of his words? Because he is a wonderful counselor. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we love you. We trust you. Um, God, forgive me for tearing a Bible. Um, th this morning, God, we, we hold your words in the highest regard. You, we believe you are our wonderful counselor. You are perfect. You are divine. And we trust you. We trust that you want what is best for us. God, this morning, I, I pray for every soul in here. Uh, maybe those who have not bowed the knee to you, that today would be the day of salvation. Or God, if, if we're honest and we've been choosing to accept your words selectively, that we would repent of that. Maybe there's something specific in our lives where we've chosen, I, I'm just not gonna obey that part. Holy Spirit, in your love, show us that and convict us of that. God, ultimately, I, I pray for hope. I pray for joy. I pray for peace. God, you, you are a God who loves us and you want us to have what is best and your word is designed to lead us in that direction. So give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. We love you in your name, amen. As we continue,